Hello there, you freedom-loving awakening wonder. Thanks for joining me today for Stay Free with Russell Brand. How we appreciate your loyalty, your fealty, your ability to see past deception and towards truth. And on that note, what a fantastic guest I'm about to introduce. If you're watching us anywhere else, we're going to be exclusively available on Rumble now. So click the link in your description. And if it's within your means, please press the red button and become an awakened wonder to support us. We need your support now more than ever. But if it's not within your means, you stay with us. You, your attention, your consciousness and your life are far more important to us than your money. Let me tell you that. Joining me now is Stella Assange, human rights lawyer, activist and of course, wife of Julian Assange. Stella, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Russell. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's lovely to see you, mate. You went to see Julian pretty recently. Tell me how did that visit go and who was with you? Well, on Saturday, uh, I went to Belmarsh Prison uh, to see Julian, like I do once or twice a week. Uh, but this time it was with the kids and Roger Waters and Yanis uh, Varoufakis. So it was a, a really special visit. Uh, what is it like? What are the conditions of the visit like? Well, um, we were able to go in without any issues. Um, and actually, we were able to film outside Belmarsh. I think they turned a blind eye um, because Roger was there and they didn't want to cause a scene. So thankfully, we were able to do a video outside uh, with Yanis and Roger, and I think it's had 1.5 million views on Twitter already. And uh, it was lovely. I mean, you know, we only get two visits a week, so we have to, uh, that's all I get and the kids get with, with Julian. Sometimes I'm traveling, so sometimes he's able to also see friends while I'm away or when I'm here. And uh, this time he was able to see Roger Waters, who, of course, has been an incredible advocate for Julian. He has uh, a free Julian Assange, uh, massive uh, image as part of his show that he's been touring around the world with. And, of course, also Yanis Varoufakis, who was the former minister of, of uh, economy for Greece and, you know, a uh, uh, global commentator and an old friend of Julian's, he was uh, would visit Julian in the embassy regularly. So it was really nice for Julian to see his old friend Yanis and his new friend Roger, who had never he had never met in person, but of course knows all the the advocacy and amazing support that Roger has been giving Julian um, over the past few years. I understand that there is some more optimism around the campaign for Julian, in particular because of the sixty Australian MP that have urged the US to release Julian. Do you, does this feel like public opinion and even significant political support is beginning to increase? Absolutely. What Julian has is a global campaign, the likes of which we have never seen before. Every single day, there is some action somewhere around the world, uh, from Sri Lanka to the UN General Assembly. Um, the UN General Assembly, I bring it up because uh, Lula, the president of Brazil, uh, had his um, address to the General Assembly. This is the uh, meeting that takes place every year in September where all the heads of state of the world come together to New York, to the UN building, and then they speak, they give an address. And uh, Lula was one of the first ones to speak um, 
and he brought Julian up in his speech. And what happened there was a completely um, rare for the UN General Assembly, which was that there was a spontaneous applause in the hall. And that's because Julian's case is so important and symbolic of our times, of uh, an abuse of the legal system, an abuse, a geopolitical kind of show of force in which uh, the person who has exposed the most the, uh, the excesses of um, the global um, superpowers in situations of war, um, interfering in the legal systems of not only their um, uh, small states, but also their big allies like Germany and Italy and Spain. Um, so Julian has, has had such an important role in exposing the true kind of anatomy of power globally, um, that this has become a reference point for our times and uh, is of geopolitical importance. Um, so you have that kind of big picture uh, political uh, significance of the case. You have the legal significance of, of the case where you have all the major human rights groups, all the major press freedom groups who are saying this is an aberration. This case is the biggest threat to press freedom globally, not only because it's an attack on the First Amendment in the United States. It's the first time the Espionage Act is being used against a publisher. Um, it will be able to be used against the rest of the press, not just the press, you know, not the one, not just the ones with the press credentials, but anyone else really who dares publish true information about criminality, about the most powerful people um, in, in the country, in the United States. But then you have a different dimension, which is that Julian is Australian. And he wasn't even in the United States, right? So the U.S. is using its espionage laws extraterritorially to apply to the rest of the world, to basically muzzle the rest of the world, um, to restrict freedom of speech um, in, in the rest of the world, in other countries, in the U.K. where he was, in Europe uh, where he was publishing from, uh, and so on. And then you have another aspect which, is, which has developed over the last 10, 12, 13 years, which is um, the surveillance on the internet and the means through which they can actually censor speech. And we've seen this, of course, in the last uh, four or five years um, where social media companies have been instrumental in interfering with people's ability to, uh, to emit, transmit their voice online. Um, and so that, that, has come about because the um, the tools with which uh, speech can be suppressed are proliferating. There is not just a uh, a market um, for uh, censorship. There is also a market for tools to censor, and um, the uh, this is so um, this is so. Uh, tempting for the powerful. If the tools exist, of course they will be deployed. And at the same time, there's a, uh, a weakening of of the protections of free speech protections, of human rights in general, of citizenship uh, rights in general. Um, and so you have this on the one hand, uh, states and corporations having greater means of coercion, and at the same time citizens becoming uh, less and less uh, able to resist, less and less able to speak out, less and less able to push back. And this is a very terrible trend. Um, so Julian's case exists in this greater context 
And uh, I think the whole world knows the significance and how Julian's case connects with all these issues. One of the other shifts that appears to have taken place within the framework of Julian's incarceration is that authoritarianism has peculiarly drifted and acquired a new aesthetic. Just prior to our conversation, we were talking about events in Canada and their ability to imprison uh, individuals on the basis of protest, their new online bills that, of course, as you've just outlined, permit censorship. We've been talking about how comparable bills have been introduced in the UK and indeed across the world. And a significant part of Julian's revelations detailed where we were, uh, you know, gosh, 20 years ago, whenever it was that those revelations were made. And of course, as you've explained, the situation has gotten worse and the power to censor control and the desire to legitimize authoritarian control has increased since then. One of the things that I'm I continue to be surprised by Stella is the posture of liberalism whilst endorsing and practicing tyranny. Do you think that there was something pivotal in Julian's revelations around, for example, the Hillary Clinton emails and other revelations about the Democrat Party that have somehow contributed to this extraordinary shift where parties that present themselves as liberal, pro-minority, pro-protecting vulnerable people are oddly the most willing to shut down dissenting voices, the most authoritarian. Has it sort of been a case that has shown us the transition of liberalism into authoritarianism? Well, I think, look, you have to look at this from a, from a long perspective. Um, liberalism was pretty well defined, I think one could say, during the Cold War, you had the virtue of liberalism kind of held against one could say the virtues of uh, of the other block. So the other block was talking about social and economic rights. It also had obviously a very dark side to it. Um, and then the West upheld um, civil liberties, freedom of speech, etc. And um, what has happened since is that freedom of speech, over time, as the internet uh, has become a generalized means of communications globally. Um, freedom of speech has been recast as a uh, as a danger. Um, information has been cast as a threat. It can be misused. Uh, you know, um, it, it's basically cast in a in a conflict and and war framing. And uh, and then at the same time, well, how can they do that? How can they go from uh, uh, a uh, self-definition that privileges civil liberties and this self-image of, of of freedom of conscience and freedom freedom of speech to to where we are now. Well, they've kind of instrumentalized this uh, uh, sense of protection of sa of uh, safety and of determining um, areas in which they, as the 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 the, the paternal um, uh, figure will come and look after us, uh, the the poor public that cannot discern um, what they should know or what they should say and so on, because you don't know what the consequences might be. Um, it's, of course, a very cynical shift. This is all uh, 
bullshit. Um, it is just the temptation of authoritarianism has been too strong. The means through which they can exert authoritarianism um, have become so available uh, that they keep on uh, keeping up this rhetoric, this liberal rhetoric, um, but don't believe in it and um, and don't practice it and don't set any expectation of practicing it uh, because the the um, excess the excessive force through which um, you know people uh, governments have used uh, their powers to shut down freedom of speech over the last five years have become really obvious to everyone. And so, for example, you know, the people who donated to the Canadian truckers um, now understand that they are in a different world um, where even their what used to be protected expression of freedom of speech to support whatever cause they wish to support has been um, shut down and there are consequences for you personally as a result of that. And, you know, who knows what kind of um, list they've been put on um, on through the banks. And the banks are now a, uh, a, a an extension of that um, control uh, network through which uh, freedom of speech is being suppressed. Yeah. It does seem to be happening. It seems that while still maintaining the guise of the values that you rightly pointed out preceded, particularly in opposition to a sort of a Cold War opponent where the authoritarianism and the Stasi and the KGB and the executions and the poisoned umbrellas were all sort of very lurid and vivid and Cold War and Ian Lafrenet, is it Ian Lafrenet? I mean, the guy that wrote James Bond. Uh, like it, like it was all sort of very pronounced and clear. And it appears now that we've drifted into a point, sort of in particular, it seems to me, Stella. I know you've been observing this more closely than I have, but in the last couple of years, five years, ten years, you're much likely, more likely, to get support for actual liberty, whether that's freedom of speech, freedom to publish, freedom of press and principles like judiciary and the assumption of innocence um, until proven guilty. Those kind of principles are being discarded curiously in the name of this parentalism that you've just described. And have you found that like you're more likely to get allies that are on what you might once have regarded as the conservative right? Or do you think that part of what's happening is that those labels and models are starting to break down? Vivek Ramaswamy, for example, publicly said he would free Julian, uh, obviously. And I wonder if you feel that there's a, now a shift where the authoritarian and more tyrannical and censorial and incarcerating and espionage act utilising government are the ones that present themselves as like the friendly face of progress. Well, I find uh, that Julian has allies across the across the spectrum and... Um, I think that's uh, partly because the um, the attack against him is so outrageous that the only people you really find defending his incarceration, his extradition, are somehow implicated in the crimes and corruption that he exposed. Um, you know, be it... Uh, I, I study them on on Twitter and so on. You get this person who who says something outrageous about him remaining in prison, and they're usually like in Virginia or 
used to work in Guantanamo Bay as a prison guard or, you know, and then it's like, of course, well, um, but it's it's rare to find people nowadays saying that Julian's imprisonment is uh, is 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 OK. Um, and, and that's that's a good development. And I think we've made um, fairly good progress in in the mainstream uh for that to happen. But I think there's something else going on here as well, which is that uh, at, in the very center, you have um, a very constrained um, uh, position. There's no free thinking. It's more about uh, associations, um, what is the right position to take. That's why you have, you know, the major parties are virtually indistinguishable uh, because uh, there is there is no um, expression within the system for for opposition, and that is negative in a way. But it also means that outside of uh, the center, there is a dynamic and uh, uh, interesting development where people from different sides of politics, you know, who have different views on the role of the state and immigration and all sorts of things um, also come to agree about a few things. And I think the central one there um, that that I hope uh, everyone can converge on is freedom of speech. Uh, freedom of speech is really kind of the, uh, the, the central pillar for a demo democracy. And um, if you, if you uh, start undermining freedom of speech, then all the other rights you have uh, basically melt away. And so I think it, it, there is a, a growing awareness uh, that freedom of speech is the, is the one in which um, we need to agree in order to uh, progress as a society. And of course, Julian has been a freedom of speech advocate for uh, decades. And the whole WikiLeaks project is about um, not just... Uh, the integrity of the historical record and, um, you know, the ability to put evidence of wrongdoing onto the public record, but also of the ability to tr transmit um, information. And if you look at the United Nations um, declaration, the UN declaration, um, sorry, if you look at the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, which was uh, formulated in 1948. Uh, it's kind of the the basic uh, document through to which the the international um, order was formed after the Second World War. So there was a lot of. It's I find it to be a very virtuous document. And Article 19 talks about freedom of speech, mm. and it is the, the freedom um, to uh, seek receive and transmit information regardless of means and across uh, frontiers. And this is such a revolutionary, um, uh, uh, um, this is such a, an amazing article when you think about it, if it were actually um, able to be preserved and enforced, which is obviously what, what we're trying to do through Julian's case. This is something that everyone signed up to. Uh, to, to seek, receive, and transmit information um, with uh, across frontiers and through whichever means, and uh, that is what is being what is being uh, attacked right now because 
if people are able to speak to each other, um, then uh, a lot, a lot, if information is free, then uh, power is, is challenged. That is a, a natural uh, dynamic. Stella, though, what I'm experiencing, and I don't know if this is because of the kind of cultural space that I'm occupying, I don't believe it is, because what I think is that I have consistently remained anti-authoritarian and once was associated with the left in a conventional way, in the way that, broadly speaking, any celebrity or public figure has that kind of champagne socialist veneer or air about them, although personally and actually my background had always included activism and had because of being a drug addict had always meant that I'd lived on the margins both economically and indeed criminally due to the sort of status of controlled substances what I feel is happening though now is that free speech has become a right-wing talking point that the many, for example, Canada, but also the United States and also Australia and also the United Kingdom are introducing bills that control, limit, curb, dilute free speech under the auspices of misinformation and disinformation. I don't see the same appetite to do that on the right. I don't know why this point of difference has emerged or occurred, but there are times when I think that it is particular to Julian Assange, in fact, in specifically because of revelations around the Clinton emails, because the, the discrediting of the Democrat Party. I feel that this issue is a sort of a centerpiece within that. And, and I believe, and I'm obviously in the case of Julian Assange bears this out, that if your free speech is a challenge to the establishment, they will find a way to delegitimize your free speech by saying that you are a particular case where free speech shouldn't apply because of some egregious act or some crime, or as in the case in Canada, oh, well, those truckers are Nazis and you can't give Nazis free speech, so we're going to have to shut that down and close down their bank accounts. So whilst I acknowledge that support for Julian Assange and the atrocity of his imprisonment can come from across the board, I have a sense that when it comes to significant movement, you're more likely, and this is a question, not a statement, do you think it's more likely that a Republican president would pardon Julian Assange than a Democrat president? Because I do think that's the case, even though, of course, Trump, who apparently considered releasing Julian, ultimately did not. Well, look, the support for free speech at the political level um, is basically absent. And that's because, as I said, the, the means through which they can shut down, control, uh, and control not only your, your speech, but um, the narrative um, is, is much more accessible now than it was years ago. And that is tempting, especially not just tempting, but is basically um, uh, required because they have defined um, the information sphere as a threat model. Mm. And uh, there is no significant pushback in that respect. And of course, you have this whole 
NGO economy um, and researchers and think tanks and so on that have suddenly seen the enormous pot of money that is being made available through public funds and so on to be able to fight uh, information that is dangerous. And so there's there's a huge um, uh, 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 constituency that is keeping this, this uh, illusion alive. And then you have the people who just want to, um, who are not part of that. And, uh, and it, it's people from, there are a lot of interests. I mean, if, if right now maybe um, it's the right who is more sensitive to it because they are being more censored, um, then it's just a matter of time before uh, the, the others realize what, what kind of monster um, they have created. And uh, so I, I, I don't think we're there yet where, where there is a general realization that we all have to converge on the principle of freedom of speech. Um, but I hope that, that we can reach that point. And in terms of Julian receiving a pardon, I certainly hope that, um, that whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, um, they will come to their senses. Of course, the Obama administration decided not to even prosecute Julian uh, because they said he's a publisher, not a hacker. And uh, if we do, then we're going to set a precedent that can be used against everyone else. So we're not going to do that. And then Trump went ahead and uh, initiated this unprecedented prosecution. And now Biden has continued it because it's convenient, isn't it? It's convenient to have the most high profile publisher who has exposed U.S. war crimes um, corruption and wrongdoing in a prison cell in the UK. And they can say, well, it's not even us, it's the UK who is keeping him, him in prison. And of course, the UK also plays this uh, uh, game and says, well, we're just keeping him for the United States. They want to extradite him. We're not charging him with anything. Um, and so it's just a matter of, of uh, this, uh, it's comfortable for them right now. Uh, to to keep Julian rotting in prison where he's been for four and a half years. But of course, the case is now progressing to its final stage and uh, Julian could be extradited within, you know, by Christmas. Wow. As well as, I think, providing us a lens for how political categorization has altered, particularly the categories of left and right, exposing how what we have is centralist authoritarianism and ultimately different degrees of neoliberalism. Another pivotal aspect of this case and the way that Julian has subsequently been handled, in my view, is the seismic change in the ability to communicate and control information. That in a way, what Julian did was the first time most pronounced and evident time that anybody demonstrated the ability to convey information differently and potentially and specifically and I assume this is why the response has been so draconian and terrifying show that enormous numbers of people could almost instantaneously deprive the establishment of credibility withdraw their support for existing systems of government and for prevailing and previously unchallengeable 
modes of geopolitics, i.e. the ongoing military-industrial complex, the necessity for wars, the requirement, therefore, for unjust wars because the wars are not legitimate in the ways that are claimed. They are just economically necessary wars, both for resources, capital, unipolar objectives. Because of the technological capacity, as well as Julian's moral willingness to expose that information... What I feel we've seen, and I've, and in fact, what the response to me demonstrates, is that this is about power. This is about preventing what could potentially happen if enough people were willing to dissent and disobey and tell the truth and communicate and form new alliances. It could be an end to these types of system. If people were well informed, if people understood that what lies behind clandestine documentation is not just information that would be harmful were it to fall into the hands of our enemies, but information that is harmful if it falls into the hands of the public. And that's why I believe that we see this case endure. And that is why, whether it's in the purported left or right, there are it's been very slow to have vocal, clear advocates come out. I'm just speaking personally as well. You know, I've been aware of Julian Assange. I've visited Julian when he was in the Ecuadorian embassy. I've been aware of this story for a long time. I'm just too scared to talk about it. Just like, oh, no, man, you can't talk about that because that's what happens. That is what happens. If you are willing to talk openly about systemic corruption, if you're willing to openly talk about how the media now does not hold the government to account, they simply convey the messaging of the state, you are going to get in some serious, serious trouble. And obviously what Julian Assange did was unprecedented uh, as a result of available technology and his own personal moral position, as I've stated. And since then, there's not been anything that significant and I think the reason is is because the media works for the state the corporate state both in terms of where they get their advertising dollars or where they ultimately where their interests converge so in a way it, there can be no more significant victory than the release of Julian well that's right I think uh, there's a I think that's why the movement to free Julian is global and because it's tapped into uh, a greater understanding of uh, what his imprisonment actually means. Um, it's a show of force where uh, the killers have put the truth teller in prison um, and, uh, you know, um, have enormous resources to try to um, complexify and um, you know, uh, 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 obscure that that's what's actually going on. Um, but that's what it is. It is, uh, putting him in the most kind of brutal and, and, uh, uh, uh basic way of shutting him in a cell for years on end, silencing him, um, and, uh, threatening to, to keep him in, in prison for the rest of his life. And I think the average person, when they see Julian's situation, they realize that they have a sense of natural justice and they understand that really it is Julian's political speech that has, has, um, that is the reason why he is in prison. 
um, he is he is being silenced and censored uh, because he made the world know about crimes and assassinations and torture that were was not just committed but also impugned ongoingly to this day. Nothing has been done to put anyone in prison for the literal war crimes, assassinations of children, you know, of toddlers that are that are um, uh, uh, that are recorded in these publications and nothing has happened there's always been a cover-up and as part of this cover-up they put julian in prison so that he can no longer speak speak and so that he can't say well um he not, cannot continue to to expose crimes and ex expose corruption so it's a show of force it's a it's a it's a show of brutality um to send a message to everyone else um that the, the powerful are untouchable. And if you try to do the right thing, uh, you will be you will be hounded. And that just cannot stand. That's why Julian's freedom is connected to everyone else's freedom, because his imprisonment started a trend. His persecution started a trend, which is where we are, um, you know, 13 years down the line. And I was just reading a interview that he gave a, a French um, magazine called Philosophy in 2013, and the question was, where do you, what, what do you think will be your situation in 10 years' time? And he says, well, it really doesn't depend on me. It depends on which way the world goes. If the world uh, continues to, or, or if the world realizes um, to uphold, if the trend is that um, that transparency and holding um, governments and, and exposing corruption um, is a good thing, then uh, I will be free and uh, WikiLeaks legacy will be uh, upheld as an example. But if the world goes in the opposite direction, in, uh, in a direction in which uh, uh, control and surveillance and authoritarianism is increases, then I will probably be in prison somewhere. Hmm. Those are his words from 2013. And plainly, that is the way that it's gone, obviously and demonstrably. And to my earlier point, that is why the political parties that previously were organized, at least rhetorically, around the language of civil liberties and the rights of the individual and the significance of free speech have shifted so enormously to authoritarianism, censorship, surveillance, alliance with global corporatism, geopolitical unipolar goals, the depleting of the capacity of other superpowers like Russia and China, legitimizing as humanitarian, resource-based and politically motivated wars, finding ever more uh, sophist ways of legitimizing wars that are plainly about an agenda that's been present forever. One of um, Julian's uh, quotes that I uh, refer to a lot is the function of government is to funnel public money into private hands. Once you realise that the Afghanistan war is not about winning it but prolonging it, you will understand it differently. And I think that's something you can apply almost beyond war and to almost every aspect of the relationship between the government, the public and the sort of deep state and corporations. It's sort of an, an interesting, I would call it, equation for understanding power and the way that power operates. Um, 
Stella, I understand you're making a documentary. Can you uh, tell me about this documentary? I understand that you're publicly funding it and stuff, or at least it's being publicly funded. Can you tell me a little more about that? Um, well, there are there are a few documentaries. The one that I was um, actively involved in that was produced by Julian's brother, um, Gabriel Shipton, uh, is called Ithaca. And um, it is it was just uh, touring in Brazil and it's toured in the US and it's, I think, still on ITV in uh, in the UK. And uh, there's a new documentary called The Trust Fall, and it is um, being uh, crowdfunded. It's I've seen um, I've seen parts of it and I think it's it's a it's a very good uh, uh, explanation of Julian's case. It has very good interviews. It has. Uh, a very uh, heartbreaking um, animation of Julian in court and the kind kind of uh, difficulties that were um, uh, the kind of difficulties that he faced when he was in court. Of course, now he's he's not even allowed to go to court uh, because he follows hearings from Belmarsh Prison. Maybe that will be different in the next in the next uh, uh, hearing. Uh, but yes, uh, it's called the Trust Fall, and do watch the trailer for that, and you get a good sense of what it's about. And then uh, Julian is, of course, nearing what could be the final hearing here in the UK. It's really the end game for Julian uh, because the High Court just incredibly decided that it would not allow Julian permission to appeal. I mean, think about it. When you have all the major human rights organizations, press freedom organizations in the world saying that this case is of the highest importance, it's the greatest threat to press freedom, um, it's absolutely outrageous news about uh, Mike, Mike Pompeo ordering the CIA to, to draw up plans to kidnap and assassinate Julian. And then the high court said, well, we are not going to grant him permission to appeal, to even present his arguments before the high court. So that's where we're at. He has one final recourse, which is he has gone to a panel of two judges to review the decision uh, and there will be a public hearing. So the good news is that there will be a public hearing and we are calling on everyone who can come to come on that day in front of the high court in front of the Royal Courts of Justice in central London. Um, we're calling it Day X because we don't have a date for it yet. We're waiting for the court to actually announce it. Um, but we expect it to be within a matter of weeks, really. And uh, this is, you know, if you have uh, never actually come to a protest or um, support Julian but haven't expressed it, um, this is the moment to really express it by showing um, support for him on that day and to come in from the royal courts and uh I'll I'll address the 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 people who come as well and there will be press so it's important to show Julian's support thank you stella we will ensure that we publicize that event in any way that we can thank you very much for joining us it's always an incredible pleasure to speak with you and to see your ongoing courage and optimism thank you thanks russell you can keep up to date with Stella's campaign to free Julian Assange by following her on X 
at Stella underscore Assange. We'll post all that in the chat, of course. We've got some other fantastic guests coming up this week. Tim Poole's joining us. Kim Iverson's joining us. Scott Adams is joining us. If you want access to additional content and if you want to support our channel and our voice as this movement gains momentum, as it becomes necessarily global, as we take a stand against authoritarianism, as we campaign to free, let's not let him become a martyr, but heroes like Julian Assange, then press the red button and become an awake and wonder and join us we'll meditate together we'll read together we will be tight and we will fight together like not in my name and fight tyranny these are new members madison taylor one joined us sarah bear 2007 bazia kenton katie cash thank you all very much for joining us i'll see you again tomorrow not for more of the same but for more of the different until then if you can stay free many switching switch on switch off many switching switch on switch off